The following is from the breakfast and listening session on life experiences with retina degenerative diseases, sponsored by Janssen, a subsidiary of Johnson & Johnson, that took place July 1, 2023 at the American Council of the Blind Conference and Convention held at the Renaissance Hotel and Convention Center in Schaumburg, Illinois. Both in-person and remote attendees share their life experiences with retina degenerative diseases, such as age-related macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, stargardt, and labor congenital amaurosis. First, in-person attendees introduce themselves, followed by attendees who participated remotely via Zoom. Hi, I'm Pat Love from Michigan. And Alan? Alan, Alan Peterson from North Dakota. And um, if you need a real form raffle ticket, I'd like to sell you one. <laughs> <laughs> Gerald Byron from North Dakota. Shelby Byron from North Dakota. Uh, Francie Rebeloso, Omaha, Nebraska. Wow, we were there last year, huh? Good morning. Good morning. Crystal Platt, Omaha, Nebraska. Colleen Kitagawa from Minnesota, and I have my guide dog, Drake. I'm Al Kitagawa from Minnesota. Gary Betcher, good morning, St. Paul, Minnesota. Awesome. Good morning, all. Clark Rockfall from the ACB National Office in Alexandria, Virginia. Jill Noble from Cleveland. Lynn Powers, formerly of Indianapolis, now with now in Cleveland. I was born in Parm. I was born in Parm. Were you? Did you have pink flamingos in your no. front yard? <laughs> I didn't either. I think that's a misnomer. Don Coors, Indianapolis, Indiana. Awesome. Michael Garrett, Missouri City, Texas. Good morning. I'm Michelle Denzer from the West Coast, Washington State, um, Bremerton, Washington, near Seattle. Good morning, Melvin Smith, Kansas City, Missouri. And Mercedes, my golden retriever. Good morning, Andrea Connor from Wakanda, Illinois, and ICB, and I'm part of the host committee. I bet everybody's going to know Dan and Leslie. <laughs> Dan Spoon from Orlando, Florida, and I'm a person with retinitis pigmentosis. Leslie Spoon, Orlando, Florida. Aloha, everyone. It's Vicki Kennedy with Guide Dog Buddy. I'm Jim Kennedy from Honolulu also and Vicki's driver. Well, thank you, everyone, for your introductions. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to the conversation. All right. Well, I'll give the codes and we do have people here in the Zoom room. So the beginning code is 95844. Again, 95844. And there will be a closing code. Um, I'm going to allow the people in the attendee side to go ahead and introduce themselves. Irene Raymond from Washington, Pennsylvania. This is Kathy Lyons, Buffalo, New York, and I have gyrate atrophy of the choroid and retina, and it's really rare. <laughs> Hi, this is Carrie Smith. I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. Good morning, everybody. This is Jane Perry from Falmouth, Massachusetts. I bring greetings from Cape Cod. 
I have retinitis pigmentosa, and I have Vardy Beetle syndrome. Hi, everybody. This is Renee Arrington Johnson from Lyndhurst, Ohio, right outside of Cleveland. Uh, I am Osir Kuhainaluoto, and I am from Finland. Viola Benson from Water, Washington. Hey, that's everybody in Zoom. All right. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to our Inherited Retinal Disease Breakfast. That sounds kind of really ominous. <laughs> hey, but we've all been living with it for our throughout our lives, so we're we're used to the terms. And we also want to thank uh, our wonderful folks that are joining us this morning on Zoom with uh, Sheila Young as our host and Herbie Allen as our streamer. So welcome to everybody on the Zoom platform. And Sheila, I guess I'll go ahead and let you give that opening code one more time here as we start our program. All right. Good morning, everybody. The opening CEU code is 95844111. Nine five eight four four, and there will be a closing code. Thank you, Sheila. And I, I want to get the program started this morning by introducing our sponsor for this breakfast. It was at a a reduced price thanks to uh, Jansen's very much uh, generosity. Uh, they're a subsidiary of Johnson and Johnson, and I'd like to introduce Dana Roman to tell us a little bit about Jansen. So, Dana. Good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm Dana Roman. I'm the National Policy and Advocacy Director for Rare Disease, including inherited retinal diseases. And at Janssen, we have um, really a breadth of medications that are currently in market. But as you know, uh, innovation comes through research. And so um, it also comes through learning insights about patients and what their journey is with that uh, disease state. And so we do have uh, this opportunity, and I really want to thank Dan and Clark for coming up with this really amazing opportunity for you all to share, but for us to take those learnings back into our organization, because your patient voice is at the center of everything that we do within this organization. It's what we need to hear and learn in order for us to make those meaningful medications that hopefully can make a difference in the lives of both you and others that are out there suffering from various disease states. So I really, from a heartfelt thank you. Um, and if you obviously have any questions, I cannot really address anything in, in relationship to what we're doing with inherited retinal diseases, but you're certainly welcome to go to Janssen's website and they do have a webpage on inherited retinal diseases. Um, and also, always uh, encourage you if you have questions about the clinical trials to go to clinicaltrial.gov where there are some amazing uh, trials going on in not only inherited retinal diseases, but even uh, I know Dan has mentioned retinitis pigmentosa. So, um, you know, certainly encourage you if that's an area of interest to go to the clinicaltrial.gov website. All right. Well, thank you, Dana. And we've out allowed actually a little bit more time today. So we've got about an hour and a half. So we, you know, everybody, hopefully they wishes to will have a few, a little bit of time to share their story. And, you know, all of us have a story. And, you know, I know for, for Leslie and I, you know, 
I was diagnosed when I was six with retinitis pigmentosis and, and Leslie will tell her story of when she was diagnosed, but you know, it kind of began, began a journey for my parents more than for me. I was just a kid out there, you know, having fun and trying to live day to day, but you know, kind of as you go through that life journey, you know, at first you're sitting at the front row so you can see the blackboard. And then as you go along, you're all of a sudden you're playing little league baseball and they hit the ball up in the sky and you can't see it anymore. That ended my baseball career, but I continued on with a red, white, and blue basketball and played, tried to play basketball through, through junior high. And and reading books and just all the different things you go through in in each stage as it kind of goes along. When is the appropriate time that you need magnification? When's the appropriate time that your orientation and mobility skills are such that you need to now move on and get training and get a white cane or a guide dog? And and you know, we we with retinitis pigmentosis we can fake it better than anybody for a period of time right my first introduction to a big large group of folks with retinitis pigmentosis was when i was giving a lecture about when do you give up driving and i had everybody raise their hand at this conference i said how many of you are still driving and about 80% of the hands went up and then I said, everybody put your hands down. How many of you all think you should not be driving anymore? And about 80% of the hands went back up. But it was really hard to give up that transition in your life. The gentleman that was on the panel with me said how he got through it. He actually parked his car in the driveway and listened to the radio and did his CB player for like four or five days. And then he realized he had to move on. So he called all his friends and his family. He got his car keys. He made a little coffin for his car keys. And he went in the backyard, dug a burial hole, and buried his car keys and had a ceremony for him to give up driving. And then he asked, you know, the, he, he donated his car to a charitable cause and had them come and pick it up. So... This is the kind of things we go through with <laughs> retinal diseases as we go through our life journey. And eventually, it brings us to the American Council of the Blind, right? And we say, my God, we're blind. We have really significant low vision. We need to find others that are going through the same thing that we're going through. So when Dana and Clark and I talked, I said, Dana, you're at a Vision Serve Alliance conference with lots of folks that are providing services to blind and low vision people. But if you really want to hear the voices of blind and low vision people, come to the American Council of the Blind Convention and let us talk to you. So that's why we're here today. And I'm going to turn it over to Clark to say a few words. And then what we're going to do is we're going to go back and forth from somebody in the room and somebody on Zoom. And Clark and I will go around and, and make sure anybody who wants to has an opportunity to share their story. We may have to keep it to no more than a couple of minutes because so we want to get make sure we get through everybody. But all right, Clark. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dan. And good morning, everyone. Um, so my story is not so dissimilar to Dan's. Um, I was diagnosed legally blind at the age of four, which meant nothing to me as a kid, but it was devastating 
to my parents. Um, I grew up in Annapolis, Maryland, and we were surrounded by some of the best doctors and best hospitals in the world. John Hopkins in Baltimore, National Institutes of Health, uh, Washington Children's Hospital, and all these great doctors and all these great minds, all their, their great learning and technology that they had available to them. And we found one thing that none of them could agree on, what my diagnosis was. Some thought it was cone rod dystrophy, macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa. Never had the same answer or a clear path forward. Um, but like Dan playing Little League in the backyard, I didn't care. I could still play baseball. And <laughs> your example of the pop fly, Dan, that was one of the worst things that I always dreaded when playing with friends or at summer camp. I could get a line drive, especially if there was trees or a building behind home plate and I had the high contrast of the dark background with the ball. Uh, but that pop fly up in the air, I, I lost it every time. So I was, I finally found out what my diagnosis was though, Lieber's congenital amaurosis. And I found that out. Do we have any folks from Iowa in the room? Oh, I, did I hear an Iowa? Awesome. So in Iowa has this little thing every, every July called the Register's Annual Great Bike Ride Across Iowa or RAGBRAI. It's basically a carnival with a lot of people riding bikes from the west side of the state to the, to the east side of the state. You dip your rear tire in the Missouri. You dip your front tire at the start. You dip your front tire in the Mississippi at the end. It all started in, I think, 1972 as a conversation between reporters for the Des Moines Register arguing over whether or not Iowa was flat. So they decided to ride their bikes to figure it out. <laughs> and now it's this thing that 20, 30,000 people do each summer. Um, one year that I did it in 2009, it was to support the Carver Family Center for Macular Degeneration at the University of Iowa. And uh, at the, the Carver Family Center, they were doing the uh, genome testing for Lieber's congenital amaurosis. So I had my, my blood drawn under the dome light of a Chevy Tahoe on a campground in Mount Pleasant, Iowa. And that was packaged up, shipped off. And then later that summer, I found out that I had genetic mutation on gene CRB1. <laughs> and one of my friends is like, this is so exciting. This is amazing. And it's like, really? <laughs> and I, I do what with this information now exactly? <laughs> but then it always brings up that question like, well, if there was a cure, would you take it? Would you do it? Um, I'm a bad patient. I mean, I think that's probably because I'm still, uh, Scott's over here is probably going to laugh at me. I'm still in my 30s, you know, uh, just a couple more months until I can't say that anymore. So I'm going to milk it for all it's worth, you know. But I, I think about everything that you know I've done in my life, the things I've been able to accomplish, the people that I've met, um, and that wouldn't happen if I had a cure, right? Okay, so I'd be able to drive. I fortunately I didn't regain my sight in my twenties because I probably would have done something dumb and reckless like every other twenty-year-old behind a car. So I don't know. It, 
I think that's an interesting question that we all need to ponder is like, you know, our, our vision is, is an aspect of us. We, it's how we, you know, it, it kind of shapes how we interact with people in the world around us. And if that changed with a medication or a therapy, that would be a pretty big adjustment too. So I guess it, not having one available right now, it's easy to say, no, I'm good. I don't know if I'd do that. But if they're, you know, if folks like Jansen or uh, the other, our other partners out there, the folks working in this space, you know, if, if their work goes forward and that becomes available, what do, you know, what do we do? And how does every individual make that decision for themselves? So, Dan, I'm happy to share the microphone here in the room. If, if All right. And I've got our first story. person uh, in the room here and I'll introduce them. And then uh, Sheila will get ready for the next person on Raise Zoom. And then we'll go hand. to Clark with a person at his table. So uh, I would like to introduce Vicki Kennedy. Her, she's with her husband, Jim, and our guide dog, Buddy. Close. But plus to open, pop up. there's a special story around Vicky and Jim that's very important in Leslie and uh, Spoon in my life is we actually met Jim and Vicky at a Foundation Fighting Blindness hand, dinner cruise 27 years ago. And I didn't know Leslie at the time. And so I sat down next to Jim and started chatting. And Leslie was on the other side of Vicky chatting. And Leslie's sister, Anita, who also has retinitis pigmentosa, she's, she's passed now. But she said, I've got to go to the bathroom now. And so Jim and Vicky were very kind and got up and helped find the bathroom for Anita on this dinner cruise. So I took the opportunity to slide over two seats and, hi and say hi to Leslie. She, she asked me as the music started playing if I would go out and dance the Macarena with her. And I said, I don't dance. And she said, well, would you like to dance with me? And I looked at her and said, I'm going to give it a try. So she taught me how to dance the Macarena. And a year later, we were married. So, so thank you. Jim and Vicki Kennedy for taking Anita to the bathroom. And here's Vicki Kennedy. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dan. Aloha, everyone. Um, I have retinitis pigmentosa, and I was a very active young mother of a, of a single parent of a 10-year-old when I was diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa, and that was back in 1978. Yes, I am an elderly person now. <laughs> and um, I, I was very active. I was a teacher and organist. And on the side, I danced hula in Waikiki. So I was really pretty active. And I didn't know I was going blind. I could see straight. I had 20-20 central. But I was stumbling around and hitting my right shoulder on the door jam. And finally, I fell over my dad, who was kneeling on the floor uh, in front of a, 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 a hutch. And uh, after many, many tests, doctors, did, even my ophthalmologist did, not, uh, ophthalmologist did not know what I had. And I didn't show the typical signs of RP. No uh, pigmentation in the back of the retina. So I had all the brain tests that you could do back in 1978 and uh, nothing was diagnosed. 
So uh, about six months after all of the tests, then my ophthalmologist said, you know, now I can see a slight beige color in the back of your retina. He says, I've read about it. You're my first patient if you do have RP. But he says, I want you to go to Jill Stein Eye Institute to really be diagnosed uh, by an expert. So I went to Jill Stein Eye Institute, got checked. I was um, diagnosed with RP. And my son, who is a carrier, does not have it. He's 55 years old now, and I'm glad he doesn't have it because he's in the film industry. And uh, so he's, he's doing very well and does not have any, any uh, 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 retinal diseases right now. He doesn't show any signs. But I want to tell you, um, yes, I drove for 16 years. I could see clearly. So what's the problem, right? And then after a while, when I found out that I did have RP, and about that time, Jim and I were dating. And he says, okay, you're going to have to stop driving. And I want to tell you, I was so active. It really was so hard. At nights, I would cry and uh, I would form welts because, you know, I, I was, it was stress. But I want to tell you, back in the day, we did not have all of the support. There was no such thing as a computer, no such thing as a support group. So when I moved to the Bay Area with Jim's job, I just went head on into volunteering and I got involved with the uh, Foundation Fighting Blindness and uh, became president for about 10 years and that's how I met Dan Spoon and uh, for all of our meetings. But thanks to ACB, thanks to HAB, Hawaii Association of the Blind, and all of the, the things that are out there for us now. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all everyone is doing for the advocacy of the blind individuals. Mahalo. This is Vicki's driver again. Um, my recollection... <clears throat> of their, these two wonderful people meeting each other has a, a interesting footnote. Uh, we were walking uh, uh, on the gangway up the steps to go to an observation level on, this is over in Washington, DC. Okay. So Dan was ahead and he went to stick his hand back and she wanted to take my hand and Leslie stuck her hand out and Dan said, that's not my hand. <laughs> True story. <laughs> Thank you, Jim. All right, now Sheila, who's our who's our first person on Zoom who would like Carrie. to raise your hand and say hand, Carrie, tell their story? All right, you got Carrie. Hi, <clears throat> this is Carrie Muth in Oregon, <clears throat> and um, you know I, I just got to say, Leslie, we have to check hand. out our guys Press somehow, M right? <laughs> Anyway, anyway, I am. Uh, I was raised in this small town on the coast of Oregon, which is where I currently live. And when I was five, I started wearing glasses, went through the normal, uh, terrible ridicule because kids are cruel. Um, and I saw a couple doctors here. And then when I was 13, my dad's job took us to Las Vegas, New Mexico. Yes, there is a Las Vegas, New Mexico. 
And um, when I went in for an annual eye exam there, the doctor's like, hey, you know, I need you to come back next week. And so he had called the two, the two or three doctors I had seen up here because he noticed debris in my eyes. And they said, yeah, we saw it too, but we didn't think anything of it. <clears throat> so in November of my freshman year of high school, I was diagnosed with RP. And um, talk about a horrible timing in life. You know, going through high school is tough enough without anything else. I think the smartest thing I did was I took a typing class. Smart. <laughs> okay, this was in 84. So yes, there was, you know, typing back then, not keyboarding. And, um, you know, I had great advocates in my parents, because as soon as we walked into the high school after that appointment, the staff in the school said, Oh, we need to put her in this special ed class and that special ed class. And my dad looked at him and said, Look at her grades. She doesn't need special ed classes. She needs books she can see. And the only class I was struggling in was algebra because I couldn't see the exponents. I got a magnifier and my D turned to an A within a week. So, you know, but, you know, it was a really hard adjustment. My grandpa felt guilty because, you know, he used to say I should have been named Grace because I wasn't very graceful. <laughs> and um, so, you know, my dad in New Mexico, they were going to send me to a blind school. And my dad said, you know, she doesn't need to be separated from her family. He found out in Oregon that they had local services. So quit his job and moved us back home. And um, so I was totally mainstreamed through high school. And, um, you know, it was a, a tough adjustment. Um, I've, I've had fairly usable vision until a few years ago, and I'm now 52. I'll be 53 pretty soon. Um, you know, I've had kids and, you know, the driving thing last year on my birthday, my son let me drive up and down the beach. So that was fun. Oh yay! <laughs> I will say this was really funny. When my daughter was seven, we were out at the same beach with my brother to go get firewood. And my brother insisted that I drive the truck and my daughter was trying to bail out the back of the truck. And, and last summer, she sat in the back of my son's truck, no problem with, you know, there was like 10 people in the back of the truck, including my grandkids. So, you know, I was driving up and down the beach. It was awesome. Um, I won't tell you guys, I wrecked my son's uh, Jeep a few years ago in the sand dunes either. But, you know, that's another story. <laughs> but, you know, one of the big things I, I wanted to say that, you know, we're not always informed of is how much the stress or the the things we go through in life can really affect or progress our RP. Mine was very slow um, over the years, but, you know, I had to have total hip replacements in 2013 and 14, which both took a lot of vision. Each of my four pregnancies took vision. I'd never trade that in the world. My kids are amazing. I have an amazing support system and five grandbabies went on the way. The youngest will be one month on the fourth. Yay. Um, but, and I recently have been fighting cancer since last summer, which took the remaining usable vision that I had. Um, but, you know, this is real. All of these major stressors um, in our life, surgeries, all this kind of stuff, you know, each time it's this little kick to us because, you know, we go along and we're comfortable with our, our sight at what it is. And then we have all this other garbage going on in our life that we have to deal with. And oh my gosh, guess what? Yes, one side effect of chemo is blurred vision. Yep, it took it. So, um, you know, but we keep going because you know what? We're resilient people. And um, 
you know, we know that we can still have amazing lives. And, you know, for a long time, I was really angry about being blind and what a life I've had because of it. You know, I've been able to help so many other people adjust to their sight loss over the last, oh my gosh, you know, 20 plus, 25 plus years um, because of this and help people with disabilities. And, you know, we can still have amazing, wonderful lives. So thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Carrie. And you, you touched on something. I heard you use the word guilt. And I think this was something else that a lot of us dealt with. Our parents feeling guilty that they gave us this defective gene. So it be interesting to see if any anyone else had kind of those senses as they were going up. And Clark, who's our next person at your table? Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Dan. And, and before I hand the microphone over here, just a couple of things that have stood out to me. Uh, being the either the only one in the family with uh, with the traits of a retinal eye disease, I know that that certainly spoke to me. Being the only one in a classroom, having your uh, you know the the fortunate ones of us having our parents be able to uh, be there to advocate on our behalf, because you know we're uh, paraphrase uh, Tavis Smiley here or. Um, we're good enough, we're smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like us, but we don't need to be in uh, special ed classes. We we just need information and material that we can read, right? That stood out to me. And also the 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 anger that Carrie shared. I know I, I certainly went through phases and bouts of just, just being angry at the world, right? Because of what I was going through. And I, I'm sure it impacted my family and friends differently. Um, certainly my parents, you know, knowing what, what I was diagnosed with, knowing that it would eventually lead to uh, near or complete vision loss, and knowing that there was, you know, little to nothing that they could do to make it all go away. So, um, at this point, our our next speaker at the the table over here is Mr. Michael Garrett. Good morning, everybody. My story is similar to a lot of folks, but it's a it, a little bit different in that I've always had a visual impairment, but as a child, they still couldn't actually figure it out. They thought it was retinitis pigmentosa, but they couldn't tell. So I was actually officially diagnosed at the age of 21. Now, I guess that's when the the rods and cones really started to dissipate and if they could see what, what was actually going on. But I had all the symptoms, the night blindness, uh, uh, the inability to read fast because I couldn't pull everything in the field of vision. But my case is a little bit different. It's it's from what I'm told, it's 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 similar to macular degeneration in that from what I'm told, most people with RP um see have very good central vision and lose lose the peripheral. Mine was is uh, basically the opposite. When I started to lose my central vision, I, I had a uh, good field of vision from the, you know, all around the around the center. 
And it enabled me to, I'm in, I'm in my 70s now, so I still have a very small amount of, of peripheral vision, which, you know, every little bit of light helps, you know, when you're trying to maneuver. But, but that has served me well, but it's, it's a little bit different. I'm very fortunate to have had as much vision as I've had over the years. And I'm under the care of um, Dr. Timothy Stout, Baylor College of Medicine in Houston. The adjustment that everybody has gone through, it, it's, you know, especially having night blindness, uh, it hasn't stopped me from living a full life, still love life. Uh, and uh, as Carrie was sharing, a lot of things that go on in your life can zap some of your vision. I was here a few weeks ago with uh, uh, playing in a baseball tournament, uh, being out in the sun. I can tell from from that small regional tournament we were, we were, we were at here, sitting in the airport in the same general area, I think I've lost a little more vision. So sunlight tends to bother me too and zaps my vision. But I would urge everybody to keep living life, keep loving life. All right. Thank you, Michael. And next, Sheila, who's our who's our next contestant on the Zoom platform? Yeah. <laughs> Alice, you may unmute. Good morning, everyone. I'm from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, but I grew up in Indiana and living in a very small rural town of about 400 people at age five before I ever went to school because there was no kindergarten then. Um, my parents were told by the doctor to take me to an ophthalmologist and they did. And that's when I first, uh, or my parents first found out that I had macular degeneration with juvenile onset, as it was called then. By second grade, I had a concept that I was going to lose my vision. And at age 15, I became legally blind, but went on to my high school with 400 other students and then went on for two master's degrees and so forth. But when I was younger, one of the specialists told me that all four of my grandparents were from the northern part of Italy. And he said that in the northern part of Italy, around Livone, where all four of my grandparents were from, that that was a pocket of the world for juvenile onset macular degeneration. Now, I've never met anyone else who was ever told that, but I've always found that interesting. Later, two of my cousins also had macular degeneration, but uh, their disease never progressed to the extent that mine did because by around age 40, I had no usable vision at all. And so thank you for letting me share a little bit this morning. Happy convention, everyone. Thank you, Alice. And one more observation I'll have as I'm hearing everybody's stories. With our kind of unique condition, we all grew up around sighted people. 
we didn't, for the most part, go go to the schools, uh, you know, schools for the blind. So we were we were mainstream before people talked about what mainstreaming was, and so I think it's interesting that our close friends and and acquaintances when we were growing up were were sighted people, and I don't know if that shaped us differently or not with our with that that kind of life experience growing up, but I think it's something that we also share in common. Leslie, you you were not the only one in your family. I'll hand you the microphone. Thank you, Dan. <laughs> so good morning, everybody. I'm Leslie Spoon. Um, my story is a little unique. I have um, in my family, there's five of us. And um, two of my sisters, all of my sisters were much older than me, 16, 14, and 12 years older than me. My brother's seven years older than me. So I was maybe an oops or a, I don't know what, you know, so glad to be here though. And, and, and glad that I met Jim and, and, and Vicki. So, um, but my two sisters that were 14 and 12 years older than I were diagnosed with RP before me. And then my third sister and I were diagnosed at the same time. So I was eight years old and my sister was, um, 18. Yeah, 18. So um, so we lived in California then, and my mom took us to the doctor and the ophthalmologist and said, well, your, your youngest daughter has RP also. So very devastating to my mom and my dad. Um, you know, did everything we could. My sister that was um, Anita, that was very involved in the American Council of the Blind and has passed now, but... Um, she did not get diagnosed really till she, until like 30 and then hers went really quickly and she was in the Navy and everything and drove and, and did all that. So um, it's very interesting in our family. We don't know where it comes from, um, like everybody said. And, and my story is a little bit like Michael's. Um, I got diagnosed with the RP and macular degeneration at the same time. So I had central vision. I had that fun thing the the peripheral vision was really good. So. Uh, I could always see out of my right eye really, really well. So uh, when I met Dan, I could see him really well. <laughs> I can't see much anymore now. So if if anything, I you know, Clark, you talked about the cure. I just want my low vision back. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it is a journey. Um, you know, we we all live our lives differently. We all come at this differently, but it's it is a journey and and it, and I was mainstreamed. I went to school. We moved to Las Vegas and I went to school. And, and in Las Vegas, the uh, the doctors in the and the school said, no, Miss um, Stone, you know, my mom, you, you can't put her in regular school. Um, she's not going she's not going to be able to go to regular school. And my mom said, no way. We're going we're putting her in regular school. So so my mom and dad advocated for me all the time. So um, when I learned about vision real quickly, Dan, the first thing I learned about the white cane. Dan, would, he was my boyfriend, brought me my first white cane. <laughs> so uh, needless to say, I learned about the white cane through Dan's spoon. So, um, you know, but, but life is a journey. Do, do what you can. Enjoy life. It, it is fun. So thank you. Thank you, Les. That was not a very popular uh, day. The day instead of bringing her flowers, chocolates, uh, <laughs> I, I brought her a white cane. We, we had a few cool cool cold moments there yes okay sheila back to you all right sir cool. 
So uh, I am Sirku and I am from Finland. And uh, uh, apologies, first of all, for my English. It's not my native language. So I hope I'm using the right words to, to describe my retinal disease. Um, so I was born in a country in the, in the 50s and to a family with seven kids and a totally blind uh, brother, nine years older than, than I was. And he was sent to the school for blind that, that happened in Finland uh, to all visually impaired people. Uh, so I um, was, of course, sent to that school nine years later. And um, actually, I didn't get a, quite a diagnose for, for my retinal disease before I was about um, almost 30 years old when I went to the trade school when my mobility instructor um, figured that I have uh, some um, sight uh, and I could use it more than, than I was doing at the moment. Yeah, because I was always introduced as uh, like in, even in our family, like, oh, this is our blind girl. So, um, uh, <laughs> and I was going, hey, I have a name. <laughs> <laughs> um so uh anyway my instructor was a great great teacher for me of in in like mobility and all like, independent living skills too so he wanted me to go to uh, to the university hospital and uh that's where they diagnosed me with um rod and cone dystrophy and then uh, people who had retinitis pigmentosa, my friends, said, oh, that's the same as retinitis pigmentosa. And uh, as I was sharing with them how I see and what I see, I said, no, that's not, I, I don't see colors. I can't um, distinguish faces. If I see some uh, pictures, I, I don't know who, who it is in the picture. Or, and uh, also what uh, people with retinitis pigmentosa have is oh, they, they need more light and that's not what I want. <laughs> I rather prefer dim lights um, because that's when I see things better if, if I can see. So, um, but I, my eyes are very sensitive for light. Uh, and they said I almost got like a, almost like a phobia uh, of, and I, that's why I have to wear dark glasses and uh, when I go out. So uh, and but I've lived such a rich life and uh, I am who I am and I'm happy for for who I am and I'm happy to be sharing this with you because this is this is awesome to to share my story with you across the pond and being a member of ACB and being being having breakfast with you all, although it's afternoon here in Finland. But, <laughs> but I would like to share one sweet story because it's, it's a powerful thing that people say because I like to ask answer people's questions when they ask about how I see and why I use a white cane and, and, and how I can do. And children especially, they are so, 
wonderful and wise. And uh, I was once at a restaurant where people had a, uh, like they were eating Chinese food and uh, there was a little corner for kids where they could play, make their own restaurant. And I answered their questions and the parents came later and told me that it, 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 they appreciated what I told them. And um, then one of the kids gave me a, a wonderful gift. Uh, she said, oh, uh, because my eyes are so sensitive, she, she said, Mr. Sandman has sprinkled sand in your eyes always. And I said, oh, thank you so much. I'm a, I'm a, we're besties because, yeah, that's. So thank you for letting me share my, a little bit of my story here. Thank you. And a real quick question. How many of you have actually, we've talked a lot about genetics and all that. How many of you have actually gone and been tested and you have, uh, and, you're and you're in the registry? Anybody? Yeah, some? Okay. You? Okay. Clark? Thanks, Dan. And another thing that stood out to me here um, from hearing, hearing the stories, Michael, uh, hearing Leslie and Sirku, at the different ages, the different points in our lives where our vision goes through significant changes, right? And it makes me think of our our ACB friends and family here at the convention. Not not everyone is, um, you know, in in a place in their lives where they are comfortable, you know bumping into things, introducing themselves to strangers, asking for assistance when they need it. Um, you know, I think back to when, when I first learned about a white cane and, and Leslie, you're a better person than I am for still being with Dan after he gave you a white cane. <laughs> Cause the first thing I knew about a white cane was I didn't need it and I didn't want it. Right. Um, uh, apparently I was the, Yeah. <laughs> Leslie just said she took it. She didn't use it. Yeah. Yeah. But turns out I was the only one who thought that I didn't need a white cane, but that was, you know, that was a, uh, uh, kind of like a, a self reckoning moment where it wasn't going to be valuable to me until I thought it was right until I accepted that I needed to use it. And, um, and honestly it made things a lot easier because then I wasn't bumping into people without them knowing why I wasn't just, you know, I wasn't seen as a, somebody who was rude or inconsiderate because they didn't know why I was bumping into them or stepping on their toes literally and figuratively. Right. Mm -hmm. But then with a cane, I think because I was willing to accept, you know, who I was, I think it made it easier for other people to accept me as, as I was with vision loss and be able to, uh, you know, look beyond that to you know, the content of my character rather than um, how I was being perceived. So as, as folks go through the convention here, just uh, a quick reminder that if there, you know, if, if there's somebody who is on the, is on the journey, maybe just starting the journey, uh, being that, that helpful shoulder or elbow, or just that, that sounding board to, to listen and talk with. I think that that goes a long way to driving the value of ACB and the value of our community to everyone who's in attendance in person and virtually. So and I'm going to hand the microphone over here to our next 
uh, next participant who wants to share. Hi, my name is Mo Carpenter. I am from Iowa and I also have LCA and I was (laughs) (laughs) a sister and brother. And I, I believe I was diagnosed when I was three, but I was not genetically diagnosed until I remember I was in the mall pushing a stroller with my firstborn and they called me and, and told me that I had um, LCA and I'm, I'm sure they told me which gene strand or whatever it was, but I don't remember that because as I said, I, I was a mom at that point. So I, I don't, re- you know, life was life. <laughs> I am the daughter of a um, Chilean immigrant. So it's, uh, I didn't, my family didn't have a lot of, um, my dad was just adjusting to being in this country. So we didn't have a lot of support and we were not in a small town, but uh, being Iowa, a large town is not really a large town to a lot of other people. Uh, <laughs> I do really appreciate that they kept me in um, at home in the mainstream system. I did everything that my brother and sister did, but of course, I was the only one with the genetic disorder. Um, and I am now the mom of four boys, so... <laughs> And like, I know they will all be carriers, but I, I think we're in a lot better world for people with genetic disorders than when I grew up. I remember growing up in the school system and I had to fight to learn Braille in high school because they didn't even think that I needed to learn it, even though the only thing I knew about my condition growing up was eventually I will lose vision. Um, but yet that that wasn't important to be able to uh, read when I got older. I, I don't know how that makes sense in today's society. Um, but I know a lot of you with RP talked about, you know, missing being able to drive. And I really miss being able to read print. But <laughs> mm. I, I am a Braille reader today, but I'm a very slow Braille reader. Uh, but yeah, that's that's just a little bit of my story. Thank you, Mo. And I think what what else I'm hearing is, and, and we, we, gosh, we had a lot of these discussions in my family, you know, especially Leslie and I getting, oh, are you going to have children? What happens if your child has retinitis, you know, has a, de- has a de- degenerative eye disease? And it was kind of, I really hated those conversations because it, it almost made me feel like, so you mean you don't want to create another person that looks like me, like I wasn't good enough? And so I think it's interesting in society, there's all this, oh, you know, you could pass that gene on, you know, is that, it's interesting, you know, I'm I'm kind of, uh, Mo, you have four boys, so you you didn't have any problem, you know, continuing on in, in, in a growing a family. But for a lot of us, there was a lot of conversation about whether that was really a good thing or not. So anyway, I don't know if anybody else had those kind of experiences. But now we're going to hear from Crystal Platt from Omaha, Nebraska. Crystal. I have um, Stargardt, which is uh, the most common form of juvenile macular degeneration. So at age nine, I started losing my vision. And I can remember being in 
high school and college in taking biology courses and that sort of thing. My dad uh, is a veterinarian, and so he worked at the uh, veterinary college and would take me to the uh, school where they had like five microscopes set up to the same image. And so he could find the image then, and it was hard for me to find it. But once he um, found it, then I could sort of see it. And then he would draw diagrams and et cetera, so that I could learn the concepts. So the important thing really is that you learn the concepts, not necessarily that you can find it or see it. So I went on to have a um, college degree in uh, science. So I have an undergraduate degree in zoology and I have a master's in medical genetics and I'm a genetic counselor. I'm, I think I'm the first blind genetic counselor. Uh, I have a little bit of remaining vision. Most people with Stargardt uh, maintain quite a bit of vision. Like a lot of people are just legally blind, 20 over 200. And a lot of people, I think, continue to, to drive with the optical um, devices that they have up on their visor. So I never drove, never drove. My vision was much worse than that. So now my vision at um, very close to the end of the, the, <laughs> the decade, um, I'll turn 60 really soon. Um, is like I can count fingers at a foot or wave on a bad day or what did they say hand wave at a at a foot so anyways and I just had my first grandchild to your point Dan correct yes yeah, I thought it was Dan um, most of us have conditions that are due to two altered genes so when we have our children most times not every time but we just pass one of those genes so all of our children are carriers of that condition and unlikely to have it, unless, of course, you have a dominant condition or X-linked. But most of our children then will be carriers, not likely to have the condition unless our partner also carries that same gene. And all of us have non-working genes. So we're not contributing more genes to the society just because we have children. Thank you so much, Crystal. Yes. I, and I felt like growing up, I was always getting lessons in gene, uh, <laughs> genea, genealogy and the recessive and the dominant and the X-linked and all that good stuff. Sheila, who's our next person on Zoom? Okay. Carrie Smith. Hi, this is Carrie Smith from St. Louis, Missouri. I originally grew up in Illinois, so I'm very familiar with where the convention is held. I'm not able to be there right now, but say hello to everybody that is. I was I had sight for a long period of time. I was like a lot of the people that are talking today was seeing, you know, things and playing sports and stuff. When I was um, about 15, I was diagnosed with RP. And it was very difficult because I was going through public schools and they were trying to figure out what to do with me, but at least they did not put me in special classes. Um, they let me continue on in regular classes and would ask me how I thought they should teach me. So it was very interesting. We did that, um, graduated, went to um, college, got my social science degree 
from Trinity International um, College. And I did, after that, went to a training program in Illinois where I got my first cane, which was very hard for me to adapt to at first. Um, I went to IVHI, which is now Ikey Woods in Chicago, got my first cane, um, and um, had several jobs after that when I came to St. Louis. Um, I um, did a lot of things with the computer, which is what I wanted to do earlier in life, but there was no computers at that time. So it was really a blessing for the jobs that I had, that I had with the American Red Cross and with uh, as a peer mentor for uh, Paraquad, which worked with dis disabilities. I now currently do Braille for the Society for the Blind. I do all their Braille work. I have a small business called KS Braille Transcription Service. And in 2017, I did genetic counseling through the Foundation Fighting Blindness and um, found out that both my mom and dad were carriers of BBS or Bardet Beetle. I have Bardet Beetle Syndrome 1. With Bardet Beetle Syndrome 1, or any of the body beetle, you have like extra fingers and toes, which I don't have, but I have a stubby on my left hand. So I think it must've been removed when I was earlier, but you also have trouble with other body systems. I do have uh, a severe thyroid and severe kidney issues. Um, so anyways, it's been really a challenge, but I've learned to deal with it. I'm a member of the Missouri council of the blind here in St. Louis and do hosting for the ACB community. Oh, thank you for your story. Okay. Uh, my name is Scott Thornhill. I live in North Carolina in Greensboro in the middle of North Carolina. And uh, shout out to Melvin Smith, my Alpha Point colleague over there from Kansas City. So <laughs> every time I go to Kansas City, Melvin says, when are you going to move to God's country? And uh, so anyway, but uh, they're having a NASCAR race in Chicago. So being from North Carolina, that's, you know, pretty comforting for me. Uh, they have NASCAR here in Chicago, but I was diagnosed at eight with RP, similar to many of you who have shared. And um, I thought I'd take a little bit, a little bit of a lighter side, right? We all struggle with so much and, it, and, and they are struggles and challenges and we come through them, uh, how we manage to come through them in various ways. But at eight, my mom and I were driving down a highway in North Carolina. You know, back then you didn't have to wear seatbelts. They didn't care about kids uh, when I was eight. <laughs> um, and so we were driving down the highway. She said, what is that word on that truck in front of us? Right. And I said, I don't know. I can't read it. She goes, it's right in front of us on the rest. I still can't read it. I don't care what's right in front of us. Well, I, I wish it had said, you know, chicken wings or pizza, but it was a lettuce truck. Um, and to this day, I have kind of a thing about it, salads. Um, <laughs> and so uh, I ended up going to an eye doctor who sent me to Duke University, where this research doctor was like, ooh, I, think I could picture him like rubbing his hands together. Like, ooh, this is great. I got a great case here, you know. <laughs> so he diagnosed me with something called, I think it was retinitis punctata albescens and Nobody, you know, whatever. And eventually I was re-diagnosed with RP. And so I'm pretty sure that's what it is. But uh, so three of my, so it's four brothers in my family. Three of the four of us have RP. Uh, my oldest brother doesn't have it, uh, but he has MS. And so we, we jokingly say, which initials do you have? The RP or the MS? Like, which is your? <laughs> but uh, I will tell you, I'm one of the, at 15, I was told I, I'd be blind by 40, right? It's a common theme you've heard from others, but and I was telling the people at the table here that, you know, I tried to overachieve. So I hit that about 36. Um, and, but, you know, was, was really kind of legally blind before that, right? My wife and I've had a real estate brokerage for uh, quite a while that she still runs. I now do public policy for Alpha Point, but she still runs our real estate brokerage. And, and our son was five years old, it was 2007. 
And I realized we had a problem when I had my five-year-old reading real estate contracts. Um, <laughs> you know, I'd say, Will, 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 come here. What? And he goes, okay, daddy. Um, and I was like, you know, he has a great vocabulary, like where to for here upon. I mean, you don't, you don't hear many, you know, five-year-olds using those words, but he learned a lot and it was helping me, but you know, high contrast had kind of stopped working and I was trying to figure out, right. And I was like, man, why is this happening? And if I could find purpose in what was happening, right. It made a difference. And so I started to think like, okay, why, and not, not why me, but like, why me in terms of how, how can I use this and, and how's life going to change? And I didn't want to get the cane. So final, final story. And then I'll hand up the microphone because I talk all day. So I, uh, my wife was like, you really need to get a cane. Cause I had started becoming, I'm very extroverted. And so I, I, um, um, one of the few people you will meet that's gotten kicked out of a bar in Nashville without having a single drink, um, <laughs> you know, tripped over a chair and the manager went to my, to my buddy, he said, you got to get him out of here. And he's like, no, no, no. He just has trouble with his vision. I didn't have a cane at that point. Right. So, um, I hope I'm on a small list of people that have been kicked out of a bar in Nashville without drinking, but we, um, you know, my, my wife said, you've got to get a cane because you're big and people don't understand that you can't see them. And like you, you deck people, like you take people out. And so uh, I was ready to travel by myself. And she's like, you've got to get a cane. I said, honey, I will get a cane. I know how much this means to you. I will absolutely get a cane. And this went on for a few months and I was going to take a trip alone. And, and finally we're on the way to the airport. She's driving me from Greensboro to Raleigh to get the, the flight. And she goes, you, you didn't follow up on that cane, did you? I said, absolutely, sweetheart. I know how much it means to you for me to get that cane. She's like, when did you call? I said, about half an hour ago. Um, so, you know, I knew there was no way they were going to get me that shameful white cane, right? I didn't want to admit to anyone. It was like the scarlet letter. Um, and so I think we all deal with that. The one thing I would share is for people like Clark, who have something less than a four as the first number in their age, uh, would be to, um, Get those skills early. I, I went through a lot of pride and shame and stuff I shouldn't have felt, um, but I didn't want to face it. And so I stayed at home and, you know, didn't want to miss handshakes and trip over curbs and all that. So get the skills early. And I think that's a message we need to share with younger people is get those skills, you know, use the technology because otherwise it just takes you longer and longer and you can achieve more earlier if you get those skills. So thank you. And thank you, Jansen, for the work you're doing. Thank you. All right. Now we're going to hear from Colleen. This is Colleen Kitagawa from Minnesota, and I have Warren's Moon Bartle Syndrome. And my parents had eight children, but I'm the only one that got it. So anyways, um, they had a hard time diagnosing me. I grew up in Superior, Wisconsin, which is a small town and had the night blindness and some other things. And finally, when we moved out to the country, some people said, take her to Madison. So we went down to Madison, and that's when they actually told my parents what I had and diagnosed me and then they said well there's a school for the blind in Janesville but they thought they were doing the best because I needed to get some skills but the nice thing is when I went to Janesville I did ninth and 10th grade and then my 11th grade I was able to be mainstream so I went to the public school for morning which was really nice so I got both so then um, I never was able to drive I kept a lot of my vision up into my like 20s and stuff and then I started losing it slowly but was never able to drive, but I have driven a jet ski, a boat, and it was a lot of fun. So, um, yeah, and I, I didn't want to learn Braille right away because I thought, oh, I don't need to learn Braille. I'm not going to lose my sight. But I'm glad I finally did learn it. I'm a very slow Braille reader. But I have one son, and when he started reading, I would read him the smaller books in Braille and finally said, Mom, let me read to you. You're too slow. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, yeah. All right. Sheila, baby, our, our last person on Zoom there. All right. Kathy Lyons. Hi, everybody. I am one of five siblings. My older sister got glasses at age three and lost them. And I thought my father was going to murder her. Um, so when I came along, they waited till I got to school and decided I couldn't see much. So then I went for glasses. Um, and in second grade, the eye doctor said we should go to this special school. At the time, it was called sight-saving class. So at the time I was in second grade, my sister in fifth grade. So we went to this special school uh, way on the other side of town and uh, used paper with big, thick lines and number one pencils and the teacher's chalk was an inch thick. So... Um, my youngest sister is eight years younger than me. When my mom saw how separating it was to be at a school so far away from home, she did not send my youngest sister to that school. She left her in the parochial school that we went to. So I went to a private high school and a private college. And in my junior year, I spent the year in France, and it was in France that I got my first white cane. And that was mostly to notify drivers that I couldn't see them. So then I finished up and went to Middlebury, and I got a master's degree in French. I taught for a while. I guess you could call it teaching, and then decided this is just not for me. Uh, I was good in French, but I wasn't good at the discipline side of it. And, you know, if you can't discipline the class, nothing else is happening. So I finally fessed up and a friend told me about the program at IRS. The, so you, at the time you went to um, in Little Rock, Arkansas for the program, and there was an evaluation period at which time the ophthalmologist told me I should learn Braille. So I did that before I started the, the actual program of income tax. But as several people have said, it's slow and it never gets the speed up that kids have or now adults have when they learned it at age six. So then my, um, in 1996, I went to Mass Eye and Ear Infirmary and they did a battery of tests, and it was then that I was properly diagnosed. So all the time before this, I had no night vision, no peripheral. We thought it was RP. Lo and behold, it's not. I have gyrate atrophy of the choroid and retina, and that's caused because I lack an enzyme. The enzyme I lack it is, is the, the function of the enzyme I lack is to metabolize ornithine. It's a little bit technical, but anyway, ornithine is an amino acid. And so they wanted me to take this substance that had all the amino acids in it except arginine. It was wretched. I thought, I don't care about anything else. I'm not 
ingesting that horrible smelling crap. (laughs) (laughs) And so the other thing they suggested was a low protein diet. Well, I tried that. Didn't do a bit of good whatsoever. So if anybody ever tells you to do a low protein diet, tell them to reconsider, (laughs) among other things. (laughs) And so then my sisters went and lo and behold, they have the same thing. So uh, five siblings. My brother has blue eyes and normal vision. I have a sister with brown eyes and normal vision. And the three of us with blue eyes all have this condition. The um, enzyme is called ornithine amino transferase. And when you have that and you can't metabolize it, it stockpiles in your blood. And that's what caused our blindness. Another annoying symptom of that is that it's called skeletal muscle fast twitch. No warning whatsoever, and your fingers will twitch. Your back will twitch. Any skeletal muscles will twitch without warning. So if I'm holding a pen and that happens, not only do I no longer have the pen, I've propelled it halfway across the room. (laughs) So um, I've learned to, like when I'm washing glasses, you know, glasses that you drink out of, to make sure my little pinky is underneath it because if my fingers twitch, I want to save the glass from becoming a million pieces of shards. And um, it happened, we found out later, because both parents carried the recessive gene. It has not reoccurred in our family since then. And I just hope in seven generations in the future, they still remember because all you have to do is do a test to check how much ornithine you have, which is an amino acid quantitative analysis. And so normal levels of ornithine are between 30 and 100. Mine was 650. So there is a way that they can test for it if they know about it. But we've had interesting adventures. I now host some of the community events for ACB. I have a guide dog, and my most recent occurrence, and I don't know if it's connected to this condition or not, something's wrong that I cannot orient. When I walk straight ahead with my guide dog, it feels in my head like I'm going, being dragged toward 10 o'clock. And so because I can't orient in my head, it's not safe for me to travel alone. And that's my biggest challenge. I've been seeing a neurologist trying to figure this out, and we still don't know what's causing it. And um, if I could just get rid of that fog in my head, the blindness isn't so bad, but not being able to go anywhere is horrible. So um, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. All right. Thank you, Kathy. Well, thank you all very much for joining us this morning. I hope you found it informative, and uh, it's really always very uplifting to listen to everybody's personal stories. And now I'm going to turn it over to Dana to say a few closing words. Dana? And, and Dan, this, this is Clark. I just want to thank everyone as well. Thank you all for sharing, and thank everyone for listening as well. And, let's and just, I also uh, need to give the ending code. 
So yes, yes, we'll we'll turn it over to to Dana, our guest from Jansen. And if everyone could just please give Jansen another round of applause for hosting this event this morning. It is truly our honor to host this event. Um, I just want really want to thank Dan and Clark for coming up with this amazing opportunity and idea. Um, you all again are at the center of of what so many of us are doing. And to hear your stories empower us. They make us really think about what we can do, um, both from a innovation, therapy innovation, but also from other ways in which we can evite, create resources and support materials uh, to help your life journey. And without your voice, without your stories, we just don't have that knowledge. So thank you very, very much. Yay! And Sheila, would you like to give the closing code? Yes, sir. It is five six seven eight eight. Once again, five six seven eight eight. All right. Thank you, everybody.